Hello, and welcome to Political Traction. Silly season is coming early this year. Between Chinese weather balloons, public broadcasters getting political, and U.S. cable news anchors threatening war against Canada, February's headlines could read like a new verse to Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Today on the Political Traction panel, I'm joined by Tasha Carradin, a principal at Navigator's Toronto office, and Catherine Moore, an associate principal in our Calgary office. This is Political Traction. Kathy, Tasha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Nice to be here. Conservatives have been calling for the defunding of the CBC, which they see as carrying a liberal bias for years. But the public broadcaster has never participated in the fight until just recently. Earlier this month, CBC President Catherine Tate accused the leader of the opposition of stoking hate against her organization. And Polyev has responded by doubling down on fundraising emails. Kathy, what do you what do you make of this? Um, so thanks uh, for having me on, Adam. And, um, you know, I think the CBC basically in this situation has a right, even though they're an arm's length, publicly funded institution, I think they have a right to start to speak out on this because they have done very well in um, trying to adapt to the new realities of TV, uh, to the media world, sorry. Um, they have gotten rid of many of their TV stations across uh, Canada, very uh, uh, strongly focused on radio, which I'm not ever sure why Pierre goes against the CBC when it's his rural base, especially, you know, in some parts of Canada that rely on the CBC radio. Um, but I think some of their initiatives they've done have been quite good. You know, they've been leaders in languages on radio, um, the Punjabi hockey night in Canada, you know, places where they really lead. And, you know, when you have um, a political leader, you know, going at them all the time, I think it does allow them the right to go back and, you know, try and defend themselves. Tasha, what, what do you think? I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious, you know, how, you know, from the, from the other side of the political fence, what, what, what do you say? Do you, do you agree with, with Kathy? Sure. I think that the CBC was used by the conservatives and by Pierre Poilier specifically as a punching bag throughout the leadership process um, to gain support uh, for his candidacy in particular. One of his biggest rallying cries and the cry that would get the most support at his rallies was defund the CBC. So to Catherine's point, um, he shot first, right? The institution is under attack. So to ignore those attacks and simply ignore that they're coming would be a little disingenuous. Um, I think the CBC is in a tough spot, though, because it is Catherine Tate is seen as, um, you know, she's, she's not an elected official and she is representing an institution that is declining in viewership that is not, you know, made to be modernized, but CBC and, and the news watching in particular of uh, numbers for CBC have gone down and down and down and down. So she's in a tough spot defending an institution that is declining in many ways. Um, and she's going to war with a political figure. So it's an imbalance, right? It's not, it's not a level playing field in terms of the conversation they're having, um, I think that uh, people who would subscribe to the CBC, who support the CBC, will be very happy. I don't think either of them is going to change hearts and minds in what they're doing. So from a, a public relations standpoint, I think people who defend the CBC will support what she's doing. People who hate the CBC will never listen to her. Um, I think the real the battle is, is happening, you know, at this level because there's a sense in the next election, depending who gets elected, that person will decide the funding of the CBC. So the CBC is fighting back and fighting for itself. So I 
I think they have a right to do it. I don't know how effective it is because the only people who will listen to them are those who already are in their corner. She gets it from both sides too. There's as much criticism that she gets, that the CBC gets for its news coverage from the conservative side of the spectrum. All of the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting left-wing progressives send equal amounts of criticism her way for things like Family Feud Canada and the the, the overly commercial U.S. <laughs> style entertainment programming that went. So she isn't she isn't a pretty tough pretty tough spot there. Do you think does addressing the issue have an effect on the implicit assumption of the issue that the CBC is biased? Um, well, I'll jump in. I think the CBC, the the accusation that it's biased is a very old one. I think that it's changed, though, in terms of the bias piece. And I think that um, it's now it's not simply biased against, uh, you know, biased against conservatives, it's accused of being biased towards uh, very specific viewpoints, viewpoints that are articulated in, uh, you know, urban Canada, um, woke issues, the kinds of things that, uh, to Kathy's point, yeah, the radio is listened to by everyone across the country. Um, but TV and some of the programs they have, um, I think really wouldn't have that much appeal outside very niche audiences. Um, so the question becomes, why is everyone paying for this? Uh, what is the CDC's mandate really? I mean, they've been redefining themselves endlessly. Um, but you know, the, the problem Polyev runs into it, I'll just leave this before I let Catherine weigh in. It's also that the CBC is more than just English. It's also French, right? Catherine Tate doesn't speak for French CBC, um, but French CBC is iconic in Quebec. And so he's going to run into a political issue if he takes that on. That hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and I agree. And I just think, you know, once again, just talking to the echo chamber, um, you know, exactly. You're right, Adam. You know, the friends of CBC will never be happy. I think I even remember a day, maybe I'm dreaming this, that there wasn't commercials. Remember, there kind of wasn't commercials or very few on CBC. Um you know, and even that I remember was kind of this big thing that all of a sudden it would be very commercialized uh, uh, like it is today. So they'll never be happy. And yeah, I guess that balance she has to, um, you know, take on uh, as leader of this. We'll uh, have to see where it goes. Yeah, I'll give a I'll, I will give a shout out to Chuck Thompson, the uh, um, communications lead at the CBC, uh, who probably has one of the harder communications <laughs> public sector jobs in the country. They should so, hire us. Come on. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, let's let's switch gears and talk about uh, another television personality. This one from from the states, uh, <laughs> Fox News personality Tucker Carlson made headlines in Canada earlier this month for suggesting that the U.S. military should invade us to free us from the terrible grip of Justin Trudeau. He found time to do this in between his. Uh, fantasies about uh, sexualized candy characters. Uh, but uh, subsequently to that, the, the federal NDP asked for unanimous consent on a bill to condemn Tucker, but to also tie the episode to what they called far-right violent extremism, which the conservatives protested, and the next round of NDP fundraising, fundraising emails were born. It was this, like, maybe it's, it's earlier in the year, but is this the stupidest story of the year already? You know what? I thought Tucker Carlson's end of men was the stupidest thing, but that was last year. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I can't take that man seriously. Um, uh, you know, I can't take much of Fox News seriously, sadly. And I say that as a small C conservative. It's just 
there's extremes and buttons that are pushed to your point for other reasons, whether it's fundraising clicks by political parties that piggyback off what Fox News does, um, or whether it's just eyeballs on screens they get from for being out essentially outrageous and appealing to a fringe. Um, so for the NDP to walk into this, yeah, I think it it was silly season, but yes, political parties do use these things to raise money. They they are becoming more and more polarized because outrage and rage farming is where the dollars are. And it's really, I think, dangerous for our political culture and our democracy. Uh, even though this is particularly a funny story, at the end of the day, it's, it's not very funny. Yeah, I agree with Tasha too. I mean, well, first of all, I think Mr. Carlson should uh, focus on his own backyard there before calling out Canada. Um, let's be very clear because everybody knows it's not true what he's saying and, you know, how many people have such close relationships from the government administrations on down to, you know, everybody, you know, family relationships, everything with the U.S. So um, uh, definitely this is clickbait. I, I think the NDP was foolish to jump into it for sure. Um, and but yeah, that's what you're seeing. I mean, you're seeing that across Canada jumping on any type of issue you see, right? Conservatives in Canada are dogged by this ever-present trap of getting defined by their worst fringes. And it seems to be the calculus that the NDP was playing at here. Uh, we're going to define you through this member's motion. And you could see this one coming from a mile away. It was there, would it have been worth it for the Conservatives to do anything differently in approaching this? Or is it such a non-issue that there's just no point in in rising to uh, rising to meet that uh, that fight? They're not rising. They're sinking. Everyone is sinking. Yeah. Everyone's sinking into this 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 mud of of stupidity and fringes, as you put it. Um, you know, the liberals too. Have, it's not just the NDP. I mean, the NDP was the one behind this motion, but the liberals also capitalize on pushing themselves further and further to the left to to try and you know eat the NDP's lunch, and that's just what they've done. I mean, our parliament now is more polarized than I can ever remember it being on these extreme views and saying things that are outrageous. And I think it started south of the border, honestly, with Donald Trump, who said outrageous things and, and you know, he profited from that. So I think that that it's, it's a it's like social license to be extreme. And it was granted in the U.S. and now it has trickled up here. Uh, we're always a bit late from, you know, what happens down south, but we have it here now. So, uh, you know, it, it's just it's disheartening and disturbing, but it is a trend that is that is present. So we either we all fight back and fight it and try and be rational, or you know we elect people who succumb to it. There's no really easy am, answer. Am I being maybe too optimistic here? I feel like it's like it's definitely here, but it's not sticking as much as it is up here. Like we have our our Ezra Levant's, we have our Maxime Bernier's, but they and they seem to be playing off the same off the same book, but. I, it doesn't feel like they're catching on in the same way, the same mindshare that Tucker Carlson or or, uh, or Donald Trump have in, in the states. Am, am I just you know looking at today's weather and not looking at tomorrow's weather? I agree. I mean, I think those I'll just say the fringes of both sides of the political spectrum. Um, you know, first of all, of course, play to their base. They use these clickbait topics. I mean. I find, especially post-pandemic, people are so, they're just happy to be back, working, 
trying to feed their families. There's so many other issues than what's going on in the House of Commons on something like this, that they just go past it. It's interesting. Um, I was told by one of my friends who, uh, when the rise of Fox television started, um, he used to travel a lot through the United States and any place you went, especially in the Southern United States, when you went to a hotel room, when there wasn't Netflix and stuff, there was only Fox TV, right? And that was kind of the only, you know, you kind of saw the growth of it before even streaming and all that stuff came, right? Where that, it's so embedded where we didn't have that in Canada, right? And I still think that, you know, um, that layer that they built down there on that um, just is never, it's never going to be at that level up here unless, you know, we let it happen. Yeah, it, it, that, that makes me think of one observation I made years ago, and I don't know, like, this is probably dating me, but I remember realizing in Toronto that if you go to a McDonald's downtown south of Bloor Street, they had Toronto Star, uh, uh, so they, they, the locations had Toronto Star subscriptions, but the second you go north of Bloor, all of the McDonald's would be full of Toronto Sun newspapers, and it's... <laughs> I don't know if somebody at McDonald's head office was making that decision or or how the uh, the free hand of the market uh, resulted in that, but it seemed it was really illustrative of uh, just how we kind of bake in our uh, our our tribal territories when it comes to politics. So switching gears, earlier this month, people's attention and imagination was caught by the mysterious appearance of what turned out to be Chinese surveillance equipment over North America. After the U.S. military shot the object down, NORAD, the joint air defense apparatus for Canada and the United States, found more floating above us. Were you following the story? What do you guys make of this? I, When I heard this first, all I could picture was the giant Trump balloon that people had mocked that you said at at a parade um you know what it's almost too it's too ridiculous to be true but it is true and i'm at the end i, I right, right away i thought there was something sinister about it i didn't think this was you know just a weather balloon off course and the fact that there's so many floating up out there that is even more concerning you, you assume a test balloon is just that it's one trial balloon floating along but this is clearly a concerted effort to i think not just undermine our security but also make us feel insecure because the collective imagination starts going a little wild and thinking now, oh my goodness, what, you know, what else is there? What other things are being used? If they're going to use weird things like weather balloons or weather balloons in quotes, what else? What can I not trust anymore? So it's that whole piece of just putting people on edge, I think, that is the biggest effect of all this. You know, I um, so I grew up in southern Alberta about an hour from uh, Montana. And so when we were growing up, it was during the Cold War and um they always used to tell us in school, you know, if there's a nuclear attack, um, Montana would be the first one because it would come over the top and it would take out Montana. So when we were young, you didn't really have to do like the hide under the desk, but kind of that routines. Right. Um, right? And, so, wow. and so when we were young, I always knew about NORAD because they'd always talk about it. Like that's who would shoot it down. But it was so I was scrolling through and saw all these, you know, different balloons or whatever was over Canada and the U.S. And then all of a sudden, and I don't know if, if you would have picked up on it nationally, but the airspace over Haver, Montana, which is pretty close to the border, got closed because they were investigating that. Right. And so it all came back to me going, good God, am I supposed <laughs> to be under a desk? Because right that's like, uh, Montana. Montana is where a, num uh, a number of the missile silos are. Is, yes, is that right? Correct. Yeah. And they have a big Air Force base in Great Falls. So it's all kind of in that, you know, which is about right. 
an hour south of the Canadian border, I would guess. So, um, you know, but growing up, you always kind of had that fear. And then many years, of course, pass and nothing, you know, people have not grown up with that. But then all of a sudden you hear this craziness. Yeah, that there's there, there's 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 balloons uh, watching us that 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 may have ordinance on them. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the subsequent uh, balloons, Justin Trudeau had this uh, a statement that he he ordered the United States military to shoot the uh, to shoot this down, which seemed like a like an anticipatory. Well, why didn't you shoot it down? Well, it's okay. I or, I ordered it to to shoot down. But we know that Canadian military readiness and the, the the state of, well, our fighter jets has been an issue for decades. Is is it acceptable for for us to have to have uh, our our neighbor to the south uh, protect our sovereignty and the sovereignty of our of, of our airspace? Well, it saved us a lot of money over the years, hasn't it? I mean, we have as a country, no, seriously, we have a country that lived under the U.S. umbrella. I mean, Kathy mentioned NORAD, which has been around for decades, I think since the 60s or 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And we have benefited. We, you know, we have we have um, state funded health care. Right. The Americans don't have that. They spend a heck of a lot more on their military than we do. We have the luxury of being able to to have money for other things because we're not maintaining a large army. However, we don't even, I think, pull our weight in what we should have as a country of 35 million people. Well, um, our military is a disgrace. Um, the F-35 debacle to replace the jets, as, as you mentioned, Adam, it's been going on since, um, well, actually it's been going on since the end of the nineties, if you want to be technical about it, um, but the actual contract was rescinded then under Stephen Harper in I think 2012 or 2011. The liberals finally have picked this up but the result is that, you know, we have we don't have the capacity to shoot down these balloons. We don't have the capacity to, to do it ourselves. So we do rely on the U.S., even for these basic things. And that's pretty sad. I think it's more of a moot point because, I mean, as we talked about Canada and the U.S. with NORAD, I mean, there's Canadian military who work right out of, I think it's in Denver or somewhere in Colorado um, where they're headquartered, um, you know, so. Who knows the situation? They could have had American jets somewhere up to the north and they were closer or whatever, right? So I kind of think it's a, that's what it exists for, to join together, to, you know, work. And if, I guess, if something happened in the U.S. and we had to go down to help them, we would, you know, same thing would happen. Well, I, I'm sure that there's somebody with a with a Baker poster up in their, in their room who would say that the Avro Arrow could have shot those balloons down in, in, in no time. But that's that's getting into alternate history. <laughs> well, Kathy Tasha, thank you so much for for joining us today. This was this was fun uh, getting through some of the dumber stories. Uh, for some, no, nobody told me that it was silly season in February, but uh, but, but but here we are, and uh, we really appreciate your uh, your giving us your thoughts on on these uh, very interesting stories. We have opinions on everything, Adam. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show was edited by Holden Wine and produced by Thomas Ashcroft, Matthew Barnes, Jeff Costin, Zoo Seaton, and Jenny McElwain. I'm your host, Adam Owen. We'll see you next time. <laughs>